When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast. I'm your host, Tom Reed, uh, joined today, as always, by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. Uh, We have a lot of Penguins uh, stuff to get to today, including uh, some news uh, in the front office. Uh, And also, we will be joined a little bit later by Aaron Portsline of The Athletic out of Columbus, uh, to kind of update us a bit on the just the tragic story uh, out of that actually occurred in Michigan on Sunday night involving uh, goaltender uh, Matisse Fleniax, uh, who died. Uh, and we will, in a, just a terrible accident, and we will, like I said, we will talk to Aaron about that. Um, there is absolutely no transition that possibly works to get, get us back into. Uh, Penguins coverage, but uh, the draft is coming up, and our own Taylor Haas uh, took a stab at uh, going, th- giving giving readers uh, on our DK Pittsburgh Sports site maybe ten names to kind of look at uh, for that number fifty seven pick, which is their first in uh, the draft uh, coming up on July twenty third. Uh, Taylor, I'll, I'll just hand it over to you and just give us an idea, maybe who you think. Uh, among these 10 or or real candidates for this spot? Yeah, I mean, it's so tough. Even in a normal year, when you get, you know, down toward really anywhere out of the first round, but, you know, down into the late second round, um, it's just such a crapshoot at this point. And then this year, especially when, I mean, we've talked about it before, what COVID has done just to the you know, the scouting process, scouts can't travel. So they're more familiar with some guys and others based on who they were even able to watch. And then, um, I mean, some, co- you know, uh, like the OHL didn't even play. <laughs> some prospects coming out of there might see their stock rise or fall based on, you know, what it would have been uh, had, you know, they played in last year. But, yeah, it, it's tough. But I, I did I, – I looked at – um you know, various ranking sites and where central scouting has guys and put together a list of 10 guys um, who are probably going to go around there. But then again, it, uh, these guys could end up going much higher, much lower, but just a couple of intriguing names. Um, one that stands out to me because, I mean, we're talking about, you know, who have scouts even been able to see. And I'm um, uh, Justin Robida. He's a center out of uh, Valdor in the QMJHL. He, Valdor, that's where uh, Poulin and Legere played. Um, he is small. He's five foot eight, 170 something pounds. But um, he's, you know, a good skater like a lot of the smaller guys are. Um, uh, he models his game after Braden Point, I read. But um, he, he was Nathan Legere's center. So, uh, and, and they had a lot of success together in the playoffs. Um, so, it, that could be something that could be appealing because, um, you know, Robita has chemistry with, with uh, at least Lager. And I think uh, he was on the power play with uh, Poulian too. So um, that could be appealing. I mean, we're talking about like interesting names. Um, one of the defense when I had on my list was Cameron. Why not? 
his last name is Weinhut, um, also out of the QMJ. So uh, left shot defenseman. Um, he plays for the Halifax Mooseheads. Um, he seems interesting too. He's a two-way defenseman. Um, uh, a, a, it seems like uh, he hasn't had much offensive success before, but it seems like um, a lot of scouting reports say he has the potential. I I like I, I I love the name. I mean, he is projected to go around that. I know Bob McKenzie's um, mid-season rankings had why not at fifty-six, the Penguins pick at fifty-seven. Um, but I mean, name <laughs> why not? I, I I saw when I was you know googling him, the Halifax you know writers and the team website they are they already stole all the good headlines like get a game winning goal and you know their headlines like game winning goal why not? Um, <laughs> so um, there are couple there are a couple of uh, European players who um, you know played in, in you know the Russian uh, second league, um, but the, I, two two of the guys I had on my list were guys who should have been playing in the OHL. Which uh, you know maybe they would have played themselves into a higher draft position, um, but then you know no one no one saw them in the last year, so uh, it, you know you don't know when they're, where where they're gonna go. They could have uh, end up going much lower than fifty seven, um, but yeah, a lot of um, forwards and defensemen. That's who I had my list. No goalies. I saw someone asking like the comments of that article why I didn't have any goalies on the list is because they took two last year. But uh, again, it's such a crapshoot. I tried doing, so I, I do this every year. Like I kind of list like this. Um, it's harder when they don't have a first round pick when I did it, you know, the, when they had a first round in 2019, I did have pull in on my list. Um, I got that last year. I tried it with pick number 77. I did not have Cali Clang on my list. Uh, but um, yeah, you never know. Bob McKenzie is going to put out his final rankings. Bob McKenzie is the go-to guy for this kind of stuff. Um, he's going to put out his final rankings on July 19th, so maybe that'll give us more clarity of you know whether any of these guys will actually go around pick 57, but um, for now, just kind of interesting names to look at. Yeah, I know, as we said, the, uh, the first round is the 23rd. The second round uh, where they will be picking would be the next day on the 24th. Dave, I'm not going to ask you to... Uh, not going to have you regurgitate some of those names, but is there a position when you look at the when you look at the prospect pool that they have, and we know it's not a very deep one? If you're Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, are you, is there a position that you're looking at that you think that you really need to get better? I that you could probably look down the line a couple of years and say this is where we should be kind of focusing our attention right now. Um, actually I'm a proponent of taking the best player available, yeah. uh, because <clears throat> you are not looking for immediate help, you know, unlike in the NFL draft, sure. you know, and, unless you're in the top few picks in, in round one, you're probably not getting somebody with, with a, even a chance to step directly into your lineup. And while, you might have a uh, a pressing need at the moment for say a, a uh, top six left winger. Uh, two or three years from now, when when the the kid you pick uh, is is ready to contend for a spot in the NHL, you might have an abundance of top six left wingers. So you're you're better off getting the best player that you can, so that it, you know you can get the biggest return on him in, in a trade. If you don't have a uh, a use for him yourself when he is ready to uh, to get to the NHL, 
Yeah, and this is, I mean, not to put any pressure on future number 57, but wow, this is their only pick between their, between uh, number one overall and the fifth round where they have, was it Taylor, three picks? Or no, no, just one pick in the fifth and three in the seventh. Is that correct? Yeah, they have a second, a fifth, and, and three sevenths. The, the additional Ooh. sevenths come from uh, swapping picks with the Capitals last year, and then the other one came from the Good Branson trade. Um, they would have had a fourth had Nick Bukestad uh, done better in Minnesota. That was a conditional trade, but uh, he did not meet the requirements, so they didn't get that, that seventh-round pick. Okay. Uh, moving along here, as uh, throughout their offseason, we, we kind of – doing player evaluations each show. Uh, we pick one player to kind of put under the spotlight. And, and today is going to be uh, uh, P.O. Joseph, uh, who just turned 22 uh, last week, I believe. Uh, had a very nice uh, start uh, when he was called up kind of almost on an emergency basis last season. If you guys remember the spate of injuries uh, the, the Penguins endured on the blue line, uh, brother of Matthew Joseph, who, by the time you guys are listening to this, may be a two-time Stanley Cup winner. Um, I want to get your guys' impressions of what you saw, the limited time that you saw him this year. Taylor, I know you watch about every uh, Wilkes-Barre game, so maybe you can also give us your impressions on kind of what you saw once he went back, and then probably most importantly for Penguins fans, uh, what you expect from this kid going forward because it seems like he could be a, a very inter- important part. Uh, Dave, let's start with you. Well, uh, during his early time with the Penguins, I thought that he would win not only Rookie of the Year, but <laughs> the Norris Trophy as well as the league's top defenseman. I mean, he was simply incredible uh, at a time when when the Penguins were missing their, their top three left-handed defensemen. Uh, he was coming in and playing top pairing minutes, which, you know, was just remarkable. Um, after a few weeks, he kind of got back down to earth and began performing at a level more that you you would expect of someone with his limited NHL experience. But I think he showed that he has the tools to develop into a uh, a pretty good defenseman at, at this level. I don't think he's anywhere near develop, you know, finished developing. I think he'll be a work in progress for, for quite some time. But, you know, I, I do anticipate him being a, a, a fixture on their blue line. You know, once he gets there, um, you know, on a regular basis, I think he will stay. Um, and, you know, not uh, there will be no more trips to Wilkes-Barre for him. Uh, I, to Dave's point, one goal, four assists, uh, five points, uh, plus one in 16 games in Pittsburgh. And as Dave mentioned right at the beginning, man, did he look good this first couple of weeks up there. Uh, went to Wilkes-Barre, 23 games, a goal, 12 assists. Uh, from a statistical, from a standard stats, the only one number that kind of jumps out at you the wrong way, uh, minus 14 uh, but Taylor, you might have a little bit more insight to what was going on there and, and, and what you saw when, when he played down below. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to go back to the NHL, my expectations from you know his early start, maybe a little bit different than Dave's. I also would have given him the heart, the Ted Lindsay, maybe the Art Ross Rocket <laughs> And King Clancy and Masterton just for being a good guy, but uh, just seeing, you know, how how he was able to use his long reach and 
really forced guys to the outside. It was really impressive. And he did kind of cool off and went down to Wilkes-Barre. Um, you point to the plus minus. That's really just because Wilkes-Barre was not a strong team and Pia was on the ice for a lot of it. Um, yeah. So I, I would – that's not an indication of him. That's just Wilkes-Barre not being uh, at his best. But uh, in Wilkes-Barre, the biggest thing I noticed was um, it's uh, you saw his – chain compared to you know last year when he was in Wilkes-Barre just the growth in his strength which I don't think we really notice as much at the NHL level I remember um just seeing he he seemed to be a lot more physical and you know uh finishing a lot more of his checks and I remember I asked uh JD Forrest after a game uh where he had you know a number of big hits and I said is that something that um you know the coaching staff has talked with him about like that you know you want to see him increase his, his physicality and uh jd said no that's not something that they they talked with him about but he thinks why we're noticing it more is just because he's that much stronger and he's able to finish more of his checks and then um he also pointed his strength when it came to um his shot i mean po he just had that uh that one goal in wolfsburg and it was almost identical to his uh one goal in pittsburgh um but it was it, he had a lot of heavy shots and he forced also told me he said that's something that comes with the strength that he's added and you know this is the strength is something that they have talked about with him and uh for said you know the work he's put in is evident so uh, i think you know another full off season of of being able to work in the gym because uh leading into um not last season, it, his last, you know, normal off season, he put on 15 pounds in the off season when he was able to have, you know, a normal summer. Um, so that, that I think is, is exciting. You know, the idea of him being able to put in uh, the work like that, I, the change he made when he put on the 15 pounds, he was able to go to Tampa and work with Matthew's trainer um, uh, that whole summer. So I don't know. I mean, I know he's in, uh, he's from Laval. I know he's back home now, so I don't know if he is going to be able to work with, you know, the same trainer, um, either from afar, if he's able to go to Tampa at some point um, with the COVID restrictions that are still in place. But uh, another offseason in the gym should be good for him after seeing how that added strength helped him once he did get down to Wilkes-Barre. But, I mean, he had a big role down there, top pairing. Um, obviously, that's why he's playing those big minutes. And he quarterbacked the power play. Uh, he killed penalties, and um, I think that additional time was good for him. Maybe sets him up for a more regular playing time in the NHL next season. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll get into our roundtable segment. Ask the ask our ask our beat writers here uh, who are the three players that have uh, the most to prove, and then we will also uh, kind of get into some off season uh, or some off the ice moves that were made today involving the Penguins. Uh, please come back and listen on the 66 to 87 podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. We enter our roundtable section uh, with a couple of topics today. And one of them, uh, Taylor and Dave, I want to ask you guys, heading into this coming season, uh, if you had to pick, let's say, three Penguins uh, that really have the most to prove going into this year, uh, which ones would it be? Taylor, I'll, I'll give you the first crack at this. I mean, after the way the season ended, I think there you can pick a lot more than three. I would, um, I think Malkin and Latang. Um, I would, I would pick not because they had bad seasons last year, but just because of their age and both have, um, uh, you know, they're in contract years. Um, they're probably going to want to not take too much of a pay cut if they do get resigned. They probably, and I mean, we don't even know if they're going to be resigned. Uh, so I would lean towards those two. Uh, and then, I mean, <laughs> a couple of guys after the way this, uh, you know, the playoffs that Ajari is one. Um, there are guys who underperform. But, I mean, I would pick – I want to pick a prospect for my third. I would pick P.O. Joseph just because um, I think he, he should stick in the NHL uh, full-time next year. So if, if he can, you know, prove that he can handle that, um, he would be my third. Dave? Well, Jari played his way onto the list – uh, in the Islanders series. Um, I don't know that he would have been there. In fact, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have been on the basis of his play for most of the regular season. Um, two other guys who I would uh, put on there would be Marcus Pedersen, who had a rather lackluster season and whose play was a significant part of the reason that uh, he and John Marino were dropped down to the number three defense pairing after being number two. And also Jason Zucker, who has simply not produced two expectations uh, since being acquired from Minnesota. Um, as we've discussed on the podcast before, it's it's not a question of effort with him, but you know, you you don't get points just for perspiring. You actually have to <laughs> score goals and set them up. And he hasn't done that to the level that I think was reasonable to expect from him. Dave, I'm going to stick with you for a second. Then I want to ask the same question to Taylor. Uh, coming from a background myself uh, in Columbus, we watched this happen in the playoffs uh, to Sergei Bobrovsky multiple times. And it sometimes involved, sometimes involved the Penguins uh, in the playoffs and Bobrovsky won two Vezina trophies in Columbus. And it was always the question of, we know he can do it in the regular season. Can he do it in the playoffs? Is this a situation you think that we may almost have to wait until next April to find out if there's a problem? Or do you think that, that, that what he has to prove is first right now, and then is the second part of it. We have to wait to see if this is a playoff thing or it's just a just a bounce back, a normal bounce back that we can find out this year in the season. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I would, my, you know, my guess at this point would would be that you won't really get an answer to that uh, until next year's playoffs. Yeah, uh, you know, if he. If he really struggles through the regular season, perhaps you could conclude that he's hit a wall. But, I mean, he's still early enough in his career 
that I think there would be an element of risk involved in jumping to any uh, serious conclusions about him. But if he does it, you know, if he struggles two playoffs in a row, uh, especially given that the the most optimistic observers of the Penguins would say that their window for contending is almost closed as opposed to being completely closed, you know, they, they don't have the luxury of waiting indefinitely for uh, for him to get his postseason game in order. Taylor, again, same thing. Is, is it going to be one of those things that, you know, again, if, as Dave lays out, he could possibly really struggle right off the bat and like, oh, my God, it's a carryover from the playoffs. But my, th- my thinking is if I'm a Penguins fan, I'm more worried about, okay, yeah, he did. We saw him do this in the regular season in the last couple years. What about in April and May when it really counts? Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, Dave covered it. <laughs> he had a bang on where he, the sample size is small enough that it's really hard to say. Um, but he, he really has been a good regular season goalie. And it, but then again, with the, with the window being so small to win with this core, you really don't want to wait too long to see, you know, like give him another shot in the playoffs. And if he struggles, I, so like what I would do is I, I would try to get a, a better number two, um, you know, someone that could push him, but then also be insurance if he does end up faltering um, next spring. Uh, that's what I think would be the best option here where he Jari could still be your number one, but just in case this does end up being a playoff issue next year, you would have someone to fall back on. Um, so I think that's the best way to, to fix this given, you know, the, the circumstances, but um, I mean, it's hard to say with him, whether this is a playoff issue or what, just because the sample size is so small. And he did win a Memorial cup in, you know, when he was in Edmonton in junior or so, you know, that, that does kind of make the point that he's capable of playing in, in a high stakes setting. Sure. So, you know, that, that probably, if nothing else, it certainly doesn't earn him general absolution, but it suggests that he probably deserves another chance to, to redeem himself before you, you write him off completely as a, as a playoff flop. Well, then even in Wilkes-Barre, I mean, he barely got any, you know, playoff time. The one playoffs he played down there, um, he played really well, but they got swept in the first round, and like it was not his fault at all. I didn't, but first round specified, so they lost three straight games, and two of those were on the road. They lost to Charlotte, so I believe that was Mike Volucci, yeah, Mike Volucci's team. Um, and he played really well, so uh, but again, that we really just have such a small sample size to look at, Taylor. Uh, good points, big points from you for the synergy. From segment one to segment two on P.O. Joseph. Um, give us a little bit more. I want you guys both to, to talk a little about Joseph because he does seem like an important uh, piece. If not just if he can play well, that then gives them flexibility. Even if they don't move somebody in the offseason, it would then give them, I would think, flexibility to maybe move somebody uh, that's older and making more money. Well, I. I've said, I don't know how many times that, that I think Pedersen would be a good option for them to move because of his uh, cap hit and just because he's young enough that, you know, you could still probably get something for him. Um, he still does have values. So he's someone that you could move out and, you know, perhaps be part of a, 
deal maybe for another number two goalie or just get um, to free up cap space to go after someone like Allmark or uh, Chris Stranger and, you know, free agency. Uh, Dave, we, we, we obviously discussed this in the first segment, but just your thoughts on, you know, Taylor's pick of having Joseph in there. How important is this season for him personally and for the Penguins as far as as they're trying to stay in this window, how nice it would be for one of these young guys, these young cheap guys, by the way, to, to be able to contribute regularly. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes without saying, certainly, if he would establish himself as a reliable NHL caliber defenseman that you know, would give them the option to, to move someone else out to open some cap space to address other issues uh, or, or simply to provide, you know, good depth, whether he would be that depth or somebody he would bump out of a job would, would provide that NHL caliber depth. It's important. You're, you know, you're not going to get through a regular season uh, relying just on, on six defensemen. You know, they, they don't stay healthy. And, you know, in, in Pittsburgh's case, they don't stay healthy through the first day of training camp. <laughs> uh, so yeah, having, uh, and, and especially when the, uh, the pipeline, is uh, relatively dry, uh, particularly for defensemen. You know, having having a promising prospect like him live up to his potential, I think, could be uh, even more important than it might seem at first blush. Yeah, uh, a little bit of off ice news uh, t- uh, t- today or yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, Sam Ventura, Ventura, the uh, the team's. Uh, kind of, uh, you, I guess you would call him analytics expert, analytics guru, whatever you want to call him, has been hired away by the Buffalo Sabres, uh, according to Elliot Friedman reporting that. Uh, Ventura, who had a PhD in statistics from Carnegie Mellon, you know, had been with the club, the Penguins, since 2015-2016 season. Uh, first hired as a team consultant, then promoted to the director of analytics and hockey operations. And in 2020, uh, again, promoted again to the director of hockey operations and hockey research. Uh, so my question to you guys is, you know, A, did you see anything like this coming? And does it, does it say anything about the, the new management team or their, their thoughts on toward analytics? Or is that just coincidental? Uh, his buddy Jason Botterell's is in Buffalo. Where do you guys fall in on this? Well, you know, and it, 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 it's his buddy Jason Carmanos. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, J- yes. J- yeah. Jason Botterell is out of Buffalo now. Yes. I'm sorry. I get my Jason's. Oh, Buffalo uh, we, don't we all, uh, you know, I, I can't say that I saw this coming, but I also can't say that I've monitored their, their analytics department all that closely. Uh, I know that they seem to be very high on, uh, someone they hired three or four months ago, ago uh, Katarina Wu, uh, I don't know whether they would see her as being ready to step into the, uh, you know, such a, a prominent role as, as Ventura held just yet. But they do seem to think highly of her. And I don't think that this should be interpreted as an evidence, as evidence that, that the Penguins are losing their interest in, in analytics. Right. Uh, you know, it, it seems like uh, Ventura was was offered a uh, a promotion to go elsewhere, and you know it's uh, it's not unprecedented for for people to uh, respond positively when that happens. Taylor, 
Yeah, the, the role Ventura has with Buffalo as the vice president of hockey strategy and research, it's it's, it's an increased role than, than he had here. Um, the the Penguin, I mean, their analytics department now is among the smallest in the league. I think only uh, three or four teams have smaller analytics departments than the Penguins have based on, you know, the public hires. Um, I mean, Katarina Wu, she's new. She's the data scientist. The one Dave mentioned, she was hired in March. Um, Nick uh, Citrone, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He, he's actually ahead a of Wu and, you know, I guess the, the depth chart. He's the senior data si scientist of hockey and business operations. But, I mean, he's only been with the team since 2019. Um, and, I mean, that's it. That's two people. Uh, so, and, I mean, you look at some of the other analytics departments for other teams and it's, like, you know, close to 10 people or, you know, even some teams have, like, four or five. Um, and, I mean, these are – you know, good teams, good teams too. The the Canadians, I think, have three or four. They're in the final. Tampa, you know, they have uh, that many too. The, the Islanders, who might have had a really good season, they have a pretty, you know, substantial analytics department. So, um, I mean, the Penguins really do have a small one compared to the rest of the league, and I think that's concerning. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they go out and, and try to replace him just with another hire. Yeah, interesting stuff. All right, uh, when we come back, uh, we will be joined, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, by the uh, the Athletics' Aaron Portsline to discuss the uh, horrible story coming out of Columbus and in Michigan uh, involving one of their former goalies uh, here on the 66 to 87 podcast. Uh, welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as, as promised earlier, uh, we are joined by Aaron Portsline of The Athletic out of Columbus. Uh, the, the, one of the big stories, obviously, yesterday in the NHL, uh, the tragic death of Matisse Kvliniak, uh, Blue Jackets goaltender, at age 24, uh, died in Michigan, um, and as we said, we we have Aaron on. Uh, one thing we want to caution our listeners is that this is being this is being recorded on a Monday afternoon, about 1.30. So by the time you listen to this, some information may have changed. But we wanted to bring in Aaron because he's obviously uh, on top of this, owns that beat down in Columbus. Aaron, thanks for joining us on on such difficult circumstances. And what can you tell our listeners of what happened on Sunday night? Yeah, well, it's it's. I mean, first of all, it's just a horrific, it's just a horrific story, and it's not anything you you ever hope to to deal with as a sports writer. And I can only think of one other day similar to this in, in all the years covering the Blue Jackets, and that's in the early days of the franchise when the fan was struck by a puck and and died a couple of days later. The reason we have nets at the end of rinks now in the league, just a a Paul cast. Um, all over the league, all over certainly the Blue Jackets and and uh, everyone who knew him. What we know, um, just got off the phone a minutes ago with the uh, an investigator from the Oakland County, Michigan coroner's office. The early suggestion was that he died due to a, a head injury suffered in a fall getting out of a hot tub. And the autopsy revealed that that was not the case, that he died. Their direct words, this is as it's listed on um, on the autopsy, that he died 
fireworks mortar blast chest trauma, which suggests that it was a direct hit by a firework that killed him more than if there was a head injury. Um, so yeah, it, it seems at this point, it seems fair to say, we don't know all of the details, but it, it, it certainly seems like it's just an absolutely horrific tragedy at a time when most people were um, exhilarated and celebrating the weekend and, and having fun. And then something like this happens. Yeah. Aaron, uh, do we know why uh, Matisse was, was up in Michigan? Um, well, he believed he was at the wedding. So the, the goaltending coach in Columbus's Manny legacy, his daughter was married on the 4th of July. Uh, I have no knowledge that this, that this had anything to do with the wedding whatsoever. I don't know how or, or you know, in any way that, that the two correlate, but that's why he uh, was up there. Um, one assumes with other people from the league who know Manny and are close to him. And if you know anything about Manny legacy, he's an incredibly personal person. He develops um, really hard and fast relationships with his, with his players. He's a beloved figure. So it's not a surprise that, the goaltenders in Columbus would be really close to him. Um, and it seems like the, the the reason they were in Michigan over the weekend was to celebrate this, this great moment for a family. Taylor. I I just wanted to ask, what was his relationship like with Elvis Merz Leakins? You don't, you know, see two Latvian guys on the team and the organization together, you know, usually, and then for two goalies, just what was their relationship like um, before this? Yeah, Taylor. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's heartbreaking because those two were extremely close, two Latvians, two guys that didn't grow up that far from each other. They're incredibly different people. I mean, Elvis is this various outgoing showman. He is a – he wants the, the spotlight and, and is just a magnetic personality. And Kivlenix is just this kind, humble, soft-spoken, and sometimes it's the opposite's uh, that attracted, and they were they were extremely close. To answer your question, but you know when when something this tragic happens, you hear all sorts of super, superlatives about people, and in this case, uh, no one's forcing no one's forcing their kind words for Matisse Kivlanis. He really was a beloved player. He's, he'd only played eight games in the NHL, but he was around Columbus a lot. He spent almost the entire season this year there as the taxi squad uh, goaltender, had some big moments for this team, won his first game in Madison Square Garden. And I have to say, not that any of us care about hockey right now, but but he had elevated himself to a point where you wondered, is he going to be taken in the expansion draft? And 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 if that didn't happen, I think most people in Columbus were fairly certain he was going to be an NHL regular next season. And it could have been Kivleniak and and um, uh, Merzlikens as the one-two punch in in Columbus. They were incredibly close, but he there's not a person in the dressing room that didn't have fond feelings. Uh, for the happy, go lucky, always smiling, positive, humble uh, young Mr. Kivlinix. Aaron, um, we had you on the show a couple weeks ago and, and just kind of at the time talking about the state of the jackets. And I just, I, I can't even imagine what, what must be going on 
with that organization right now, it's just on a day like this, as you mentioned perfectly, that hockey doesn't matter. But my goodness, what a what a what a really really difficult year this past year has been for this organization. Uh, can you share anything as far as what 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 they're saying or or what's going on and the what what has to be going through their minds at, a, at an hour like this? Yeah. Well, I spoke to Yarmo Kekalainen this morning. Um, he was in Helsinki boarding a plane to the United States, his planned return. Um, devastated. I mean, absolutely devastated. Um, yeah, and, and honestly, Tom, I, I think they have – I don't think they even – I think this is its own sadness. I think this is its own yeah. devastation, and I don't think they – I don't think they even correlate it frankly, to um, anything else that's going on with them, with with how shitty they were this season, any rebuilding, any of that stuff. I think all of that stuff gets put aside here. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course it brings up, it brings up awful, awful procedural questions. Um, but I, I, I get the sense John Davidson is, is not speaking and I don't have... I know we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be these uh, jaded um, reporters that that have no emotion for these things. I can't bring myself to call Elvis Merzlikens right now. I know where he's at, right? I know how yeah. absolutely devastated he is, and so that's going to sit there for a while. And I, I just get the sense that this team is going to take, you know, a few days um, or as long as it needs before anything anything hockey related becomes even a, a minor concern. Uh, Aaron, uh, I don't think the young man was particularly well known among at least the, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh fan base. What kind of prospect was he and, and what was his upside? How, how far uh, did the Blue Jackets think he could go in the NHL? Yeah, well, it, it's a great question because I think two years ago, I think two years ago the consensus was this is a really good AHL goaltender. That's that's who he is. There's no shame in that, obviously. Um, and then they would have injuries, and he would come up. Elvis was injured at times his rookie year, so so was Corpusalo, and they at first were reluctant to turn it over to him, and then it reached it reached a point like as any hockey season does where it's like, okay, you can't keep playing the top guy. And here are the blue jackets in Madison square garden. And here's Matisse Tivlaniex's first NHL start. He was fantastic. And he won. And that gave them a little bit of confidence. John Tortorella, the coach included. And, you know, they came back to him and he played pretty darn well. And then he went to the American hockey league, back to the American hockey league and just really elevated. You look at his numbers in, in Cleveland, uh, briefly in Cleveland this year. As I said, he was on the taxi squad here a lot. Um, he was a really, really good AHL goaltender and played uh, well enough where, again, you, you felt it was no longer ridiculous to think maybe Seattle picks him in the expansion draft. The Blue Jackets were planning to expose him. And if he didn't get picked there, I think the Blue Jackets were perfectly comfortable perfectly comfortable with him being the backup to whichever goaltender they kept here, be that Elvis Merzlikens or Jonas Corposalo. The assumption is they're going to trade one of them. 
And I think he would have been the backup here. And they've got another kid in their pipeline, Daniil Tarasov, who's here in North America and, and many say is the most talented goalie in the entire organization. So I think, you know, Tarasov and Kivlinex probably would have seen both some time in the NHL next season. But this kid, uh, Kivlinex, was ready, was ready to become an NHL regular, I think, in the eyes of many. And undrafted, right? He was an undrafted uh, free agent, correct? Uh, you know what? My head is a bit spinning here. Let me. Yeah, he was undrafted. Yes, and uh, I think the yeah, Blue Jackets. It's, yeah, it's, uh, they signed him out of the USHL, and he went right from the USHL to the American Hockey League, which is you know after one year in the USHL, he was a young man when he played in the in the NHL and the AHL. Took some lumps. Um, but and, and you know what his crowning moment? I should say this. It's it's sweet and poetic in a way. He was Latvia's goaltender at the World Championships this year when they beat Canada. I think in the first round or second round, early rounds, and it was the first time Latvia had ever beaten Canada in the World Championships. And they were so, it, the record was ridiculous. It was like zero and twenty eight or something. And that was not a great Canadian team and not a great tournament. But tell the people of Latvia that and tell them that Matisse Kivleniaks was not their hero. It touched off days of partying uh, in Riga, Latvia. And Kivleniaks, I, I, we wondered then if that were going to be the highlight of his career. And if it were, that's still a great career, a Latvian goaltender leading Latvia over Canada in the world championships in his own city. That's an incredible story for a goalie from, from overseas. And now sadly, I, I think we can say with some certainty that it is, it is the highlight of, of the young man's career crowning moment. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for joining us again under very difficult circumstances. Uh, you can follow Aaron on, on Twitter and, and, and certainly at the, and the athletic and, kind of keep up of what's going to happen and, and the aftermath of this, but just a, just a terrible day in the, in, in the hockey world yesterday. Um, for Aaron Portsline, uh, Taylor Haas, and Dave Molinari, uh, this is Tom Reed. Uh, we will we'll catch you later in the week on the 66 to 87 podcast.